I trust that this is a very well-known passage to, to most of us. It is, a, it is the, the episode of the record of how of the last week before Jesus went to, to the cross. And in this particular instance, he is passing through the city of Jericho. Widely considered to be the oldest city in the world in existence. Jericho was a beautiful city, a paradise in that region. It was a wealthy city. Nearby, they had the Jordan River and the Dead Sea. I didn't check this uh, properly, but I think it is the, the lowest city in the world. It's, I think, 400 meters below sea level. So that it is said, even in the parable of the, the Good Samaritan, that they were the, the, the priest and the Levite were coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jesus was passing through this wonderful, beautiful city for the last time. This was the last time that Jesus would pass through Jericho in his earthly ministry. He was going to the cross. The following week, he would, have been, he would be killed. And in a sense, you could say that this was Jericho's day of opportunity. This was the last time that Jericho and the inhabitants of that city would see Jesus pass through it. You could say that this was the day that salvation was being offered to Jericho. The oldest city in the, in the world, this was the most important day in that, in that city's history. And there was a crowd jostling to see this great rabbi that's been causing so much ruckus and ruffling so many feathers around the, around the, uh, the region. People wanted to see they heard of the miracles. They, they, they heard of the, of the controversies. Like today, there was a, a kind of morbid curiosity to see what all the fuss was about, I'm sure. But it, out, of, out of this great crowd, we're only told of two of two salvation, of two, the saving of two souls. Two men were saved that we are told of. One was rich, the other one was poor. One was by the roadside, and the other was perched up on the tree. To meet Christ, one had to get up, and the other had to go down, to get down. One was forgotten and hated. The other was an aristocrat. Or one was forgotten and the other was hated. One was an aristocrat, a, a bureaucrat. The other was a beggar. And what this shows us is that God makes no exception of persons. No matter your political, financial position, no matter the color of your skin, your, your, I, uh, pass, your passport, your citizenship, 
Jesus come, Christ comes. He comes to save without making exception of people. And just like in the days of Jesus passing through Jericho, this might be the last chance for you to hear the gospel, for you to know the Savior. There might not come a tomorrow. There might not come another call for salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He appears to have been a great, great sinner. And he appears to have had, like the crowd, his curiosity excited by this uh, rebellious rabbi that says he's the king of the Jews, that calls himself the Messiah of the, of the Israel. Oh, he's certainly curious to see him. And he was, as he was uh, coming near to, uh, to, to Jesus, he realized that because of his short stature, he could not see Jesus. So what he does, he runs uh, in front of him uh, and he climbs up a sycamore tree. I don't know if you've ever seen a sycamore tree, but tidbit of information, they are uh, very rugged in, in, the, in the lower branches. They can certainly hold the weight. I'm told by people who have visited uh, Israel uh, recently and uh, in modern times that when they go through Jericho, one of the places that usually uh, tour guides stop is outside of Jericho to show them a sycamore tree. And that those sycamore trees could certainly hold the weight of one man. But Zacchaeus runs ahead. He climbs the sycamore tree to see him. And when Jesus comes to that place, he looks, he calls him down, and he, he, he invites himself into his house. They go into his house, and salvation comes into his life. And our Lord Jesus finishes this encounter by saying, or as it is recorded for us, by saying, I tell you, that he, uh, um, verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So brethren, my friends, this passage is full of encouragement for sinners, for poor sinners, for poor and lost sinners to desire the salvation that can only come from the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not come into the world to call the righteous. He did not come into the world to, to, to save those that could save themselves. But he came to call sinners to repentance. His eyes, his heart, his thoughts were upon sinners or about sinners. And his one mission, as stated by himself, was to come to seek and to save that which was lost. And Zacchaeus is a perfect, wonderful illustration of the lost condition of man, but as well of a sinner overcoming the obstacles of salvation that incidentally come our way. So uh, by way of contextualization, or by way of trying to uh, explain a little bit of this, let me enumerate some of the obstacles 
that were on his way that he had to overcome to have a real encounter with Jesus. Zacchaeus overcame the obstacle of his job, of his profession. He was a publican. publican. And publicans were tax collectors, as, uh, or as it says in our text, a tax collector. It's also referred in other translations as a publican. He was a tax collector. He was a, an employee of, the, of Rome's HMRC, if you could call it that way. But he was much worse than that. Because nowadays, taxes, although they are high and they, they, they are taken from us uh, by force uh, before we even can say something, for the most, most of us, with pay-as-you-earn uh, schemes, in those days, taxing was much, a much more controversial issue. And I'm not saying it's not controversial nowadays, but imagine in those days. Rome was a big empire, huge empire. There was no way that tax collecting could be centralized in any way. So the way that a big empire that spanned from, from Portugal, what today is Portugal, to, to Turkey, all uh, covered the north of Africa, up until here, the UK, a huge empire like this that spanned the, uh, the whole of Western Europe, you could not have a centralized system. So what Rome did, they delegated authority to local governors and those local governments delegated authority to chief tax collectors and those chief tax collectors would then delegate authority and it's this big pyramid and the money would eventually slowly make their way up uh, the, the chain to get, get to Rome. But you can see how this becomes a problem. Because Rome would say, for every head you need to pay me X amount, but everyone in that chain then, then needs to take a little bit of profit. If they're honest, just a little bit. If they're dishonest, they start extortioning the people. So the controversy is that by the time the tax bill came to the, to the regular citizen, the tax bill was enormous. And the only way you can ex take money of that high, those high amounts of money from people is that if you have some rough people around you to, to threaten, you either pay or you suffer the consequences. Not too unlike what we see but, but nowadays, but that's a different issue for another day. Most importantly, tax collectors, usually in their own nation, in their own region, were seen as traitors. They were working for the occupier. This big empire, Rome, came in and they occupied our lands. And now these people who are our fellow uh, countrymen, they, instead of resisting, they love money more than they love their country. So they join up with them and they, and they are traitors to the cause. This was particularly prevalent in the Middle East, particularly prevalent among God's people. Zacchaeus was the chief of publicans, the chief tax collector. And although his name, Zacchaeus, means pure, righteous, he was certainly not so. He was the head of a hated scheme of corruption. But in spite of his position, 
He wants to seek Jesus. He's looking for Jesus. He was unhappy. He was needy. He was dissatisfied. He was indeed lost. Because his life was marked by an emptiness that neither fame nor money nor social status could, could ever fill, could ever make him happy. The book of Proverbs says that better is little, better is a small bit, if there is fear of the Lord, than great treasure where there is trouble. So he had to overcome his job, his profession. He had to overcome his obstacle, uh, this obstacle of his social state, status. Jesus had just said in the previous chapter, it's recorded for us that uh, after this encounter with the rich young ruler, that it's easier for, a, for, a, for a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man enter the kingdom of God. So Zacchaeus had an obstacle of his financial status. But Zacchaeus did not let his financial status come between him and God. He did not let money to come between him and God. He knew that money did not fill the emptiness of his heart. He knew that his soul was thirsting for something that money could not buy. The rich young ruler in the previous chapter, he traded the salvation of his soul for his wealth. His God was money. Very rarely you see, or, uh, if at all, if at all, you see our Lord Jesus calling God to anything else but God. Calling Lord to anything else but the Lord, his Father. One notable exception, if not the only exception, is when Jesus is saying you cannot love God and money. You cannot serve God and mammon. Why? Because the Lord Jesus knew. Money is at the root of all evils. The love of money, we are told. And don't get me wrong, the problem is not money. The problem is not uh, money in itself. The problem is to be a lover of money. The problem is not to possess wealth, but the problem is to be possessed by wealth, to allow wealth and, and the pursuit of money uh, to be rulers of your life. For Zacchaeus, this didn't, was not a problem. This was an obstacle that had been overcome. Zacchaeus had to overcome the obstacle of his physical condition. He was a short man, probably had traumas with it. I don't know how it was in first century uh, uh, Israel. But if it was today, I'm certain even from a young age, he had troubles with it. People derided him, made fun of his physical condition. But Zacchaeus was having none of it. He wanted to see Jesus. He showed great haste, great, great desire. He ran he, he, to meet Christ. So he overcame that. Then he overcame the obstacle of his pride. He was a rich man. He had a position in society. And here he is, putting his status aside, climbing up on that tree, putting his titles, his fame, his social status, giving up the, his vanity and his pride. He overcame. Though he was rich and the chief of tax collectors, he did not care what the crowd would think. He had one goal in mind. He wanted to see Christ. He wanted to see him. 
what all the fuss was about. In fact, he admitted before everyone his character flaws, his sins. He took, he took off his mask. Another thing that we read that Zacchaeus overcame was the obstacle of, his, of the crowd. There was an obstacle with the crowd, both figuratively and, and, and uh, both literally and figuratively. It is often the case that the crowd becomes an obstacle for people to come to Christ. The crowd is always an obstacle for people to see Jesus. The same people were trying to shut up the beggar in Jericho, Bartimaeus, as he was pleading, Son of David, have mercy on me. They were, shush, shut up. The crowd was an obstacle. The crowd was squeezing Zacchaeus. They, they wouldn't let him see Jesus. Beware of the crowd. My friend, beware of the crowd. It can be and it will be a hindrance in your life. How often souls feel constrained from going to the Savior because of relatives, because of friends, because of public opinion, because of people. Zacchaeus overcame that. He overcame the grumblers as well. The ungodly, the ones that were, that were condemning, condemning him. Those that were, who come to Jesus' ear and says, yeah, this Zacchaeus is a worse sinner. You cannot have fellowship with him. You cannot be friends with him. He's unworthy. The grumblers are those who think they are better, holier than thou kind of attitude. And if he would depend on them, Zacchaeus would have never come to Jesus. So my plea with you this evening is that you would close your ears to the grumblings of the crowd to the murmurers don't let modern day Pharisees keep you away from Jesus come to Jesus the one who came to seek and save the lost this is what Zacchaeus illustrates for us a man in a lost condition he is lost, completely lost utterly lost He's under the condemnation of sin. Every sinner is under the condemnation of sin. The wages of sin is death. There is no turning back. There is no remedying the situation. The righteous sentence of, of condemnation is upon every single sinner. That's why the, the language, the, the figurative language, maybe more even than figurative, spiritually true language of being lost is used here. You're lost. You're inexcusable. There is no way out of it. You're helpless. Like a sheep that has left the fold. Like a sheep that has abandoned the fold. You cannot come back by your own accord. You're now exposed to the beasts of prey. To the wolves and the predators. You're lost. Lost like a, a prisoner languishing in a, in a dungeon somewhere with no kind of, uh, of uh, provision. Lost like an exile, 
a refugee in a, in a land not his own, with no one to pity him, with no one to care for him, lost like a prodigal son who has abandoned his father's household, went to a distant land, sold all his possessions, and is now feeding pigs, lost like a careless traveler who lost his bearings and now doesn't know where he is. Lost like a dead corpse laying in a grave with no power whatsoever to make yourself alive again. Like the prophet Ezekiel saw in that valley of dry bones. Your case is a miserable, desperate case. That is the most dangerous condition that you can find yourself in. And actually, there are no words to describe your condition. If you're a sinner outside of Christ, if there, you're a sinner with, with, uh, with, with outside of the salvation of Christ, you're in the most miserable situation, barring being in hell. Hell will be worse condition than this. But there is no worse condition than what you are right now. You are dead, dead to God, dead in sin, dead in your trespasses, doomed to everlasting ruin and destruction in the eternal flames of hell. But I say to you, there is good news. There is good news. The gospel is the glad tidings to you that Jesus Christ has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And the good news is that Christ is determined to do that. It is his mission. It is his goal. It is his stated mission here. Why did the Son of Man come to, from heaven to earth? Why is he down here uh, in, this, in first century uh, Judea? Why has he uh, done this? Because he has come to seek and save the lost. That's it. That's his goal. That's his mission. That is, that's his determination. He has come to seek. And that's with Zacchaeus. That's what we see. Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus even before Zacchaeus was seeking him. Yes, Zacchaeus had a, a kind of curiosity. He was wanting to know what, what this Jewish rabbi was teaching and what, why was he causing so much uh, fuss and so much co controversy. But he was not seeking salvation. But Jesus was seeking him. Even before Je Zacchaeus saw Jesus, Jesus already saw him up on that tree. I would argue that probably Jesus went that way because he knew that he would find Zacchaeus. I'm not even arguing. I'm certain that Jesus went that day to Jericho because he wanted to save Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus. That's his whole goal. That's his whole, whole mission. Come to seek and save that which was lost. The sheep that were run astray. And in, in to see, seek and save those he loved from the foundation of the world. And if you were one of, the, one of those, he knows you. No one told Jesus Zacchaeus' name. That, might have, that must have been a shock. Well, maybe not because he's a famous person. He just thinks oh, someone told him about me. But... Or is a, a famous individual in, in this city. But that might have been a shock to him. For Jesus to know his name. 
He knows the names of all of those that He came to save. He knows their past. Because before time and memorial, He had chosen them. In eternity past, it was Jesus that looked at Zacchaeus first. It was Jesus seeking Zacchaeus first. He came to seek and save the lost. Jesus was going through Jericho because of Zacchaeus. I wonder if Jesus is here today to save you as well. Jesus shows Zacchaeus that his salvation was a matter of urgency. It illustrates for us the urgency of salvation. Jesus says to them, make haste, quickly, come down. For today I must stay at your house. Come down quickly. Don't take, don't, don't, don't dither and delay. It's today, it's now. Today is the day of salvation. You might not have a tomorrow. Today was the last day in Zacchaeus' life that he would have that encounter, that he could have that encounter. Jesus would never pass through Jericho again. So Jesus was in a hurry to save him. Salvation is a matter of urgency. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Eternity lies at the door. And one of the beautiful things that this passage tells us is that Jesus saves him to have fellowship with him. I think this is the only time in the whole of the New Testament, in the ministry of Jesus, that Jesus actually invites himself to go into someone's house. Most of the times, if not all of the times, Jesus uh, is invited by Martha and Mary and Lazarus, by, by others. Uh, but this is uh, the only time that is recorded, I believe, for us, that Jesus says, no, I will come into your house. It, it's, it's necessary. It's, it's expedient for me to come in. It's fitting for me to come into your house. And it's something of the, the, the fellowship of salvation. With, uh, there's something of, of the fellowship that exists in the salvation of Christ Jesus. He doesn't save us just to take away the punishment of sin. He saves us to have fellowship with him. And I think this also shows that his love is without prejudice. Although the crowd was deriding him. Although the crowd was pointing their finger. Look this guy. This one goes in and, and dines with sinners. He's a friend of sinners. He's, he sits down with tax collectors and with prostitutes. You see, Jesus did not come to save the righteous or those who think they are righteous. As a physician, he came to heal those who were sick, who are sick, who know themselves to be sick. He came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus offered them a great, glorious gift of salvation. Verse 9 and 10, he says, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Salvation is not obtained through religion, you know. 
there were a lot of religious people in that city. I think uh, most historians agree that Jericho had at that time become a, a center for, for the habitation of priests. And that's why the parable, parable of the Good Samaritan speaks of the Levites and the priests going down to Jericho. Because they usually would live in Jericho and would travel, commute up to Jerusalem for, to do their services. But Jer Jericho would be the city of priests, the city where they lived, where they spent their time. It is most striking that in a city full of religious people, in a city f with people filled up with religion to their full, Jesus saved a beggar and he saved an unscrupulous man. Jesus went into that city to save them. We are also reminded that this offer of salvation, this salvation that was offered to Zacchaeus, is not obtained through right living. I'm sure that in, Jer in Jericho there were many people in, in that, the, humanly speaking, were outstanding in, in, in human terms. They were upright in their character. I'm sure there were many people who were very altruistic and very good, very charitable in that city. Jesus came into Jericho to save the chief of sinners in that city. The one that everyone knew that had no chance the unscrupulous, the worst offender. Jesus comes into that city and he saves the one who has the worst life, humanly speaking. So salvation is not obtained through right living. Salvation is not ob obtained by works. Just in the previous chapter, Jesus encounters this rich young ruler. And in the, in the conversation, uh, Jesus, knowing his heart, he tells him, okay, go, sell all your things, sell all your goods, give to the poor and come and follow me. And, and that rich young ruler turns his back and goes away. Why? Because he loved money. Because he's loved, he loved his, his fortune. But that is worth nothing. That was just Jesus testing him. Zacchaeus gave half of his possessions and Jesus accepted it. It was not about the amount. It is not about the money. It is not about the good works that you do. Jesus accepted the half that Zacchaeus was offering because he, Zacchaeus had abandoned the idol of money. He was not saved because he gave. He was saved because he believed. It does not matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been. I can promise you this. As a minister of the gospel, if you right now repent of your sins, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and forsake those sins, and trust in him, you will be saved. Salvation is a free gift from Jesus. He gave them. He gave Zacchaeus, the greatest of gifts. So Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus was one of those lost. You are one of those lost if you're outside of Christ. You are one of those lost. And I'll, I'll use the words of our brother Jeff when he came to, uh, to us a few weeks ago. I don't know if 
greatest proof that Christ loves you at this moment is that he's called you to listen to this message. And by the preaching of his word, he is calling you to salvation. That is a proof of his love for your soul. In a sense, that is something of his seeking after you. He came to seek us. He came to seek that he might save his people. That he might save us from the multitude of our crimes, from the sentence of divine justice, and from the wrath of God. And in, in order to save us, he spared no expense. He thought nothing too hard. He became our substitute so that we or to do what we had not done, what we could not do. He obeyed all the law perfectly. He was sinless, spotless, and he became our sacrifice and suffered and died in our place. The old hymn says, Upon him the curse of God alighted, by him the wrath of God was endured, and in his death God was reconciled and pleased. So I tell you this. Come to Christ. Christ is seeking to save sinners. You are a sinner, and if you come to him, he will in no way cast you out. He loves to save sinners. He lives to save sinners. He rejoices to save sinners. His very glory is to save sinners. He does so cheerfully. There is no kind of coercion exerted on him to save sinners. His heart is drawn to sinners seeking salvation. And he saves them eternally. Forever and evermore. So come to Christ. My friend, do you know yourself to be a lost sinner? Do you know yourself to be in an imminent danger? Is there something in your perception that tells you that without Christ you will perish forever? Do you realize the dreadful doom of the sinner who dies without saving knowledge of Christ Jesus? Oh, I pray that you would know that. I pray that you would know that. That the Holy Spirit would now open your eyes to see the danger that you're in. That he would quicken you to fill your condition. And that you would flee to Christ. That you may know him. That you may commit him so, your soul to him. And that goes for believers in it as well. Have you known? Have you known Christ? Has Jesus found you? Has, has Jesus become your Savior already? Cleave to him. Cleave, cling to him. 
walk closely with him. May your, mo- and, or your utmost goal in life, your one endeavor in life be to glorify him. For the grace of God that brings salvation unto all men has appeared. He teaches us to say no to all forms of ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled lives, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, who redeemed us from all our wickedness and who purified us for himself, a people that are his own, eager to do what is good. Commit your soul to him. Enjoy the present salvation by him. And in the midst of opposing or oppression, opposition and suffering, learn to say with the Apostle Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel of my Lord, for I know in whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. May the Lord grant us to live by the truths of this gospel whether we are believers or unbelievers. May the Lord grant you, sinner, the desire to seek him.